Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't even really call it a regular basis, <laughs> but yeah. It, what, well, it's not really an irregular odd. basis. I don't know what it is. Perfect throw to bow with about 40 seconds to throw to first base and he <laughs> threw it away. So obviously you trade Wet Merrifield for a closer. <laughs> no, he's the fourth outfielder. Uh, yeah, anyway, oh, none of this math, is happening. So the match is so confusing. <laughs> and welcome to episode number 268 of Artificial Turf Wars, where it could be worse, we could be Maple Leafs fans. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the slightly disappointed Joshua Housem. <laughs> um... Boy, the Jays sure were hot in Pittsburgh and cold everywhere else in this road trip. What a strange, long, strange trip it's been. Um, Dalton Varsho put one into the river. We'll, uh, we'll celebrate that. We'll celebrate Brandon Belt being all the way back up to last year's line by homering a couple of times and continuing to walk. Um, we'll talk about uh, the, the, the on-again, off-again pitching staff. Um, I'm not sure what to make of it, but we'll we'll describe it, and you can decide what to make of it. Uh, Zach Pop is out due to injury, which means Jay Jackson, who we talked a lot about before the season, uh, is actually up. We didn't know if we'd ever see him. Uh, also, a couple of injuries uh, or or times out of the lineup to Vlad and Springer, but but no injured list time. Uh, we're going to talk about that, how that looks with the roster depth with all of these changes. Um, might be a bit of a problem for the Jays going forward. We have lots of questions from you pretty much in the vein that you're about as confused and disappointed as we are. Uh, yeah, that, that'll get us there as you do. Um, Pittsburgh, man, shouldn't have left Pittsburgh is all I'm thinking. <laughs> Just play the pirates all season. <laughs> Things are working a lot better. Now to be clear in, in years past, the pirates were, uh, objectively horrible, like for many, many years, but this year they were actually off to a, a hot start when the, I believe before they ran into Tampa, they were the best, best team in the national league. I think they're still objectively terrible. <laughs> I think they're pretty bad. I didn't say they, I didn't, I didn't say they were going to be great, I, but they were on a good streak. They were well above 500. They looked like a decent team and the Jays just absolutely made mince meat of After looking like, a double A team against the Red Sox and then immediately went into Philadelphia after leaving Pittsburgh. Um, so it's not Pennsylvania that's lucky because nothing went right in. <laughs> it's Western Pennsylvania only. Dalton <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Varsho put one into the Allegheny River. Did, did, uh, it seems appropriate. If he's going to heat up, he should be doing it sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, you know, he's a good enough hitter. 
right? I mean, he's never been a great hitter in the big leagues. It's kind of a a little bit of a misnomer about what he has been and what he was at Arizona. His OPS pluses in his full seasons ish. 2021, 102. 2022, 109. Entering play today, 104. It's just a slightly better than league average hitter, but there's upside for more, which we're starting to see why that's there, at, along with great defense and base running. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to find a league average hitter who can uh, who can consistently bunt for a base hit, uh, run the bases excellently, play whatever outfield position you need him to play. Oh, and catch if something goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, last year he hit 27 home runs. And that's not something that you can just say. You can't, you can't dismiss that kind of production, power production, especially in Arizona where it's elevated, but they use these special, the, the humidor to such a level that it's actually a pitcher's park because it's such a big park. And he hit 27 home runs. So... And we know that last year's ball was not a ball favorable for home runs either. No, it, it definitely wasn't. Yeah, and he had, you know, he had he had 15 home runs in the second half compared to 12 in the first half with 100 fewer plate appearances in the second half or 80 fewer plate appearances. So it took him a while to get going last year too. And he wasn't at this level by this point. So I do think there's upside for more and he's starting to show it. Speaking of guys who have upside that we're, I mean... It's not even upside with Brandon Bell. It's track record. Like, this, this guy had 150 OPS pluses in his, in his resume. He had a really lousy year last year because of the injury, et cetera, et cetera. He's finally back up to last year's batting line, essentially, with his homer today in Philly, which was the Blue Jays' only run. And it was a very classic Brandon Belt home run, the big lofting pulled fly ball. I mean, that's that's what he did. That's how he he hit all those home runs in San Francisco. And he brought his OPS. He's now up to 700, which considering he was, oh, my God, do we DFA Brandon Belt from some people? <laughs> certainly as recently as last week. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, he's uh, his OPS or sorry, his WRC plus, I think is 97 after today on the live update. Um, interesting that it, the one thing that does stand out as uh, taking a while to get back in line is his strikeout rate, which because of the abysmal start to the season is still 42%. Yeah, I mean, this could be just a sign of aging and slowing bat speed that the strikeouts are going to be there more. I mean, he struggled a ton. He even struck out quite a bit at a 27% rate in 2021 when he was the best hitter in baseball. <laughs> but well, for half a season, but as long as he's still taking walks and driving the ball when he does hit it, which he has been doing lately and was not doing early on in the season, he'll still be a valuable part of the lineup, especially in in a semi-platoon role. I, I just think that that's a nice piece to have. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly been a better piece than um, Santiago Espinal or Kevin Biggio have been so far this year. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that now. <laughs> we we're going to get to the to the depth of the of the of the offense later, but since you just brought it up, the Jays have a depth problem. In that, oh, Jansen isn't hitting, but he has shown that he does this sometimes, and then he will hit. I'm not worried about Danny Jansen. I'm not worried about George Springer, who's not hitting at all. He's been sick. Fine. Biggio, terribly off, terrible offensively. Espinal, 
terrible offensively. Combined, they have an OPS of 900. <laughs> you mean adding up? Yeah, <laughs> not, not if you take their lines together, if you add one to the other. <laughs> and then Nathan Lucas, I don't even know why he's here. He literally doesn't play. I mean, today he got in as a pinch runner for the, the free runner they put on second base. That's, how it, that's what it takes to get Nathan Lucas into a game. If you're going to use the role that way, and this is where I get into the depth issue. If you're going to use the role that way, it should be someone faster than Nathan Lucas. It should be Winton Bernard or something. If you're not going to use the role that way, it should be someone who's a better hitter than Biggio or Espinal. But they don't have that, and it has caused, you know, it has caused a really black hole at the bottom of the lineup in a lot of games recently. Yeah, and I, I think it also speaks to when, when you look at the Blue Jays um, piling on or having a, an, an impressive offensive game, there are several games where the bottom of the order, which in, in those games is like Kirk, Kiermaier, and Merrifield, when, when the bottom of the order does very well all at the same time, the Blue Jays are a very tough team to manage to pitch to. But when you have Espinal and uh, Biggio both in the same lineup, uh, it's a, it is a, a layback and take a rest for opposing pitchers. Yeah, I mean, the Jays' offense as a whole isn't exactly clicking yet. They only have three players with an OPS over 800. Now, those three players are all over 900 because Guerrero, Bichette, and Chapman are just crushing the ball. And Kiermaier has been far exceeding expectations offensively as well. But nobody else is really stepping up. Merrifield has been fine, but Kirk hasn't hit much yet. Is no real power to show up to this point in the season. Varsho is starting to come around. Belt is starting to come around. But if those guys all start playing to their potential, they can handle the occasional start from Biggio or Espinal. But right now when those guys aren't playing, those first guys aren't playing to their potential, the absolute dreadful performance of Biggio and Espinal just stands out. Yeah, there is no picking up of the slack. Um, from, I, th I think it's weird because it's it's two guys who do have a track record of at least being serviceable, right? B Biggio has been, a couple of years ago, decent. Espinal, for a couple of years, has been decent. And this year, both of them are just non-starters. <laughs> you know what, pun intended. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, they're both hitting way, way below their career norms. And right now, we are still only talking about... I think their combined plate appearances is about 130. Yeah, so it's it's not exactly enough to say these guys are cooked, but they're also both second basemen. And it's like it would be nice to get an actual backup outfielder, which would allow the Jays to keep Merrifield in the lineup at second base when Springer or Kiermaier needs a day off. Um, which is what what we thought maybe Lucas was going to be brought up for. Yeah, but he's not being used that way. <laughs> Just. It's one of those things you want to ask a manager uh, as a fan, and uh, it seems like beat writers kind of shy away from stuff like that for whatever reason. Yeah. So there's there's your lack of depth. Um, I think the lack of depth also shows, I, I don't know if this is what you want to discuss now or later, but um, in terms of pitchers with options, 
The Blue Jays continue to not have any particular, like Nate Pearson has options still, correct? Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, yeah, there's a few who have options, but the few are, well, Jay Jackson, who we were, yeah. you mentioned, but they're Jordan Romano and Eric Swanson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? Right. Going down. G- given how the road trip went, I'm pretty sure there are people who would option Jordan Romano right now. <laughs> oh, we got a question that hints at that, which is insane. But you know, my my issue with the depth is more on the offensive side. I mean, the bullpen, the issue, the depth is actually quite good. You know, because like look at the call ups they've been able to go to with injuries. They were able to go to Pop and then Pearson and then Jackson and then Hagen Danner's down there and Hayden Younger's down there. You know, there's guys. But as you mentioned, the issue is to to drop some of these guys down, you have to actually cut them. Yeah. And uh, then you don't have that depth anymore. And uh, it's it's been very tough because you're going to talk about starting rotation after we talk about injuries. Um, but it it seems like everybody decides to not get the job done on the same night for John Schneider. <laughs> and he puts him in a very awkward spot. Uh, where he's he cycles through multiple relievers who again we talked about this last podcast it was it was the ultimate um demonstration of it was the start but it happened a bunch of times in Boston as well it happened it happened against Seattle and then it happened a bunch of times i think it was Seattle it happened a bunch of times against Boston where each guy who came in gave up a run or two runs or like three base runners and then you know uh, someone else came in and, and gave up the single that scored the run. So technically he didn't give up the run. Um, and then there's the other nights where, like you said, the Blue Jays give up the big zero. Yeah, it's been unfortunate. Um, I mean, some guys have been just shaky to, to the, all season to the point where, well, like they're going to have that. They almost expect, OK, one day is going to be good. One day is going to be bad, you know, um, but. You know, like Pearson has now pitched five times and he gave up his first runs. And Swanson had a game where he came with the bases loaded, nobody out, all three runs scored. Like, it's like, okay. Like, I mean, sometimes you forgive things like that, but yeah, they just, the back of the, the middle of the bullpen needs to just pitch better. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Except for Tim Mesa, who we probably slandered unfairly earlier this season. Because <laughs> yeah. he's, he's done everything right, hasn't he? Yeah, it's like it's actually hard to complain about Mays' performance. <laughs> <laughs> he he's been he's been excellent. I mean, he he took the very very tough luck luck loss today with the most unearned of earned unearned runs. But yeah, he's been he's been very good. Uh, the strikeouts have been higher this year, which has helped. Yeah, um, I mean, if, if if the runs are not crossing the plate, uh, your responsibility. You're you're even as a reliever, you're you're doing something right. His, his worst outing was the first outing of the year. It's interesting. He's actually been better, though, as a guy coming in to pitch an inning because batters are still hitting 294 against him. It's not, it's not like he's not giving up hits. He's just not giving up a bunch in a row. So I still don't know that he's the best guy to come in with a runner on third and two out and a lefty up, a runner on second, two out and a lefty up. I'd rather go to Swanson in that kind of scenario. Swanson is just so attractive with his swing and miss ability. Yeah, uh, and, and I just trust him to get the first guy out more than I trust Mesa to do that. Uh, so we alluded to this. Zach Pop is out and injured. Jay Jackson is up. What For those of who were not paying attention to Jay Jackson, what does he bring to the bullpen that uh, you like or do not like? 
Well, he hasn't had a lot of major league experience. He's had, so he had some very tough luck with injuries after coming back you know, into the big leagues in 2021. But he will strike guys out. He throws in the low, mid-90s. I mean, he'll, he'll touch around 95. That's basically where he's sitting. He's got a really good slider. You know, a 95 and a slider guy. <laughs> it used to be like, <laughs> that was a thing. Now it's a 98 and a slider guy. But, no, I mean, he'll, he'll get strikeouts. He's He doesn't, he has some control issues at times. But as the last guy in your pen, I think that's, he's certainly a serviceable arm. Which is pretty cool. Um, Vlad had a wrist issue. Uh, and then that, that was two days plus the off day. And then he, he was back in the lineup. Um, I think with Vlad, always the question with his hands, um, is, is the power going to be there? Obviously it doesn't affect his, his, the plate coverage or his, uh, his eye. Um, so you want him in the lineup if he's feeling well, but I am curious to see if the power is going to be there, uh, with this nagging potential injury, which, cause I, they're, they're not going to give you a daily update on whether it's bothering him a little bit or not. Right. It's, this is the thing that's, if he's in the lineup, you got to assume he's good to go. Yeah, I, I do think that power is sometimes used in a way that suggests home runs or doubles. But today he had two balls that he hit over 102 miles an hour. And one of them was a line drive right at an outfielder. And the other one was a ground, was a ground, roll, ground ball double down the line that just he blasted it past Sosa. I, so that suggests that the wrist is is fine enough to do that because like all you have to do is hit it hard. It just the, the home run power is more about where you hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, Springer is dealing with some kind of uh, illness, flu, virus um, that has been. It sounds like it's if it's the same thing that was going around the clubhouse for a bunch of other guys. It sounds like Springer has been laid quite low with it. Yeah, um, it might not be the same thing that other guys had. But we don't actually know. But, uh, yeah, he's been sitting out, essentially, for the last few games. He came in as a pinch hitter for Dalton Varsho in the in the Phillies game and struck out. I mean, it was a little odd decision to do that. If Springer's so bad with illness that he can't play, he couldn't start after an off day. And then again, today, we're recording this on Wednesday. But... You know, he's been struggling for a bit and it's, it's been obvious that he's not right. So it just, the hope is that he just heals up and then he can come back and be more like the George Springer we know. Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, any, uh, th- let's talk about the starting rotation, which, um, the, the great saga of, uh, the famous story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> yep. Re- plays itself out with the starting rotation. Um, Let's let's knock him down one by one. Alec Manoa, yes. who, who probably so, doesn't quite fit this problem. No. So he had a, he looked like he might be doing okay. He had zero runs, then two runs, and then five, and then three. So he's just been and he didn't and in the, in the two run game he only won five innings. So he hasn't really just really hasn't been there yet. But then Gaussman went zero runs, zero runs, eight runs, zero runs. <laughs> Bassett went. Two runs, zero runs, two runs, four and five, zero. <laughs> Barrios went two runs over seven, zero over seven, five and five, and then two over six and a third. <laughs> and Kikuchi, one run, zero runs, five runs, zero runs. 
yeah, when the wheels come off, uh, they don't they don't go back on for these guys. But I mean, and that was a stretch. That second last start was the second was was one turn through the rotation where literally all of them were bad. Yeah, I I that was rough because it was like okay, uh, who's going to be the stopper? And the answer is nobody. <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah. nobody is going to come in and put in uh the effort that you were hoping for or get the results you were hoping for i'm, I'm sure I, you know effort is not the right term here i'm sure they were all trying very hard um they were just none of them were executing well uh and then yeah you get back around to the same dude in the rotation and it's like uh, okay i got this no problem no runs <laughs> what <laughs> the, the last trip through the rotation so yeah leaving manoa out of it because he was just bad zero runs from gaussman zero runs from bassett two runs over six and a third from Barrios and zero runs from Kikuchi. The other four starters combined to give up two runs in four starts. And then Gauss and then Manoa, he was not good, but it's weird how they just, it's like Jock, like you said, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You just, they're either very, very good or really, really not good. Yeah. Especially when, when the old, uh, uh, they call it a quality start. It's not really that meaningful a start, but three runs over six innings is a quality start. They missed that on both sides every single time by by at least two runs. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's funny because overall, like okay, so again, we're gonna leave Manoa out of this because we we can come back and just discuss him in general after this. But Gaussman has had two disaster starts. The one in Houston and the one in Boston. Otherwise, he's had four starts where he didn't give up a run. And then two that were three runs over six, all unearned, and three runs over eight. So he's been excellent for six of his eight starts and a disaster in two. <laughs> Kikuchi has been excellent for five of his seven starts and a disaster in two. <laughs> and Bassett... More or less, I don't know if I'd say excellent, but he's been very good in five of his seven starts and very bad for two. One of them wasn't a disaster, but just bad. Even Barrios has been, he's got the three bad starts and the four good ones, but like mostly been very, very good when he's been good. It's been really odd that the, the Jays haven't had a pitcher other than Manoa, who's just been mostly bad, but having a pitcher has been mostly good or mostly bad. It's been really very good. <laughs> Or really very bad. Yeah, I mean, I remember being spoiled by by the likes of Roy Halladay, where he was never very bad, and I I, I can even remember like Sean Markham would would have an off, you know, would not be great, and and would have would have sometimes very good starts, but never seemed to just completely implode on on such a <laughs> such a regular basis. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I still don't even know how to call it a regular basis, <laughs> but yeah. It, what, well, it's not an irregular odd, basis. I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. But for me, what's more odd about it is it's not like, like Holiday was so good that when he had some bad starts, it'd be like, whatever, right? And that's what the whole rotation is doing, though, just with a couple more bad starts in it. I'm just not used to seeing a situation where, you know, by the second inning, if the guy's going to dominate. <laughs> For the entire rotation, other than Manoa, literally, Gossman, Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi have been fantastic or bad. And it's hard to understand that there's not a pretty good in there at any point. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll, it'll start to sort itself out over the season. But 
Maybe not. Who knows? But Manoa, we should talk about what's going on with that guy. Uh, nothing good. Yeah, I mean, we're now eight starts into the season. He has made it through five innings, through five, twice. He has, oh, sorry, he passed five twice. He's made it through five four times. So two twice is only five. And he's just not getting swings and misses. And that, and that, he's never been a guy who relied on that to succeed. You know, last year he was one of the better pitchers in the American League, and he was you know, a below average strikeout pitcher. But this year, his slider has just disappeared. He he can't locate it. He's not getting the same bite. Or I, it's hard to you know identify how the pitch is actually reacting from television. But the data suggests the movement is similar-ish. But he just can't locate it, and he's not. He didn't get a single swing and miss on it in the game against the Phillies. Not one. If if you if you cannot convince. Uh batters that your pitch is a different pitch or is going to be in a different place than it actually is you're screwed yeah and so he's his walk rate is going up because he's been unable to put guys away for that exact reason and he doesn't have a great changeup. it's not bad but it's not great he relies on a good pair of pairing of fastballs so that he can, you know, he can tunnel the movement on the fastball differently to, to use the four and the two seam to get guys out and the slider as a swing and miss pitch. And without that slider, he's really just a guy with two fastballs. And that's, it's very hard to have any kind of sustained success, even within a game when you, when you just don't have a secondary pitch. Yeah. I mean, that sums it up is you, you must have, some kind of uh you must have something to fool them with and he is not fooling anybody with two fastballs and a mediocre changeup and a and yeah i'm repeating myself uh so i think that gets fixed when fixed i think that improves when his mechanics become more consistent because that is the thing that looks really wonky this year is he doesn't look to me he doesn't look as comfortable as he does as he did last year with uh, landing and and putting the pitch where he wants to put the pitch. So, yeah. if anybody's been been negatively affected by the pitch clock, it might be Manoa. Certainly could be. All right, that is our depressing thought to end the first part of this podcast. But <laughs> don't worry, you have lots of depressing questions as I've as I've skimmed them before. But wait here, we'll just end on more positive. All right. Just because it's we, we remember last time, like our 10 minute episode where everything's good. <laughs> All right. We all will... that thing we just said about the rotation. For the most part, they have been very, very, very good. And we should focus on that. We should remember that part of it. The weirdness of the very bad is in there, but mostly very, very good. Yeah. And if this team were in any other division, we would not be sweating the small stuff. And while you think about what small stuff we are sweating, uh, we are going to be right back in a couple of minutes with some questions from you. And we return to you ready, willing, and able to answer any question that you fire our way. Well, ready and willing. Okay, and and I mean the correctness of the answer did not enter into the equation. I just want to make that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really willing to do it, maybe not to their satisfaction. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. 
Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Our first question comes from Carrie at CarrieCon. Uh, was wondering how you would grade the performance of John S. after a month or so, his plus and minuses, uh, and what you think the impact of having Don M. on the staff has been. I'd like to say that is the most, like, I only have a hundred, so many characters on Twitter thing I've seen in ages uh, with all the short forms. So I feel like I'm back in when we only had 140 characters on Twitter. How would we grade John Schneider? Um... I don't know. I mean, I, he's made some moves that I think are a little strange. You know, some pitching decisions like sending Trevor Richards out for a second inning in a leverage situation against the Phillies for some reason. When Swanson was going to come in anyway, why not just use Swanson? It was after a day off, although the whole bullpen was rested. And we talked about some of the things last week that he's done, but I do think he makes some good moves. Like I mentioned last week, like that saving Swanson for the extra innings against the Mariners because of his strikeout ability. So I thought, I, I don't know. B minus. I, I don't think it's good, but I don't think it's horrible. And as for Mattingly, it's just impossible to assess that. I mean, his sideburns look great. Yeah. He, okay. The look, <laughs> the aesthetics in the dugout, A plus. But other than that, I, I'm I'm sorry. I just don't know enough about what he's he's doing specifically. Um, Blue Jays Rat Girl at Ellie Ellie Hart says Alejandro Kirk had 14 infield hits last season and three already this season. Can he really keep that up? What happens to his numbers if he doesn't? I think he can because one of the funny things with Kirk, he occasionally hits the ball very, very hard. Last year, he didn't really start that until May. His exit velocity average in April was 87. And then he through July, it was, it was above 90. And with that, he gets a lot of natural hits, singles, doubles. This year, his exit velocities are in the tank. And when he hits it softly, really, really softly, he gets infield hits. And I think that's just a consequence of he makes so much contact and some of those are just really bad contact and he'll beat them out. Even as slow as he is, I think he'll still get a few infield heads every year. I wonder, is it be because he has line drive ability, are, are infielders playing a step back sometimes to sort of guard against the hard line drive and then he hits a dribbler and it's, a, it's longer for the infielder to go get it? Well, so they know he's never going to bunt. Right? right. So, yeah. The, and he's so slow that it's like, oh, let's just give him room so we can make sure we can field everything. And then the swinging bunts that he hits with some frequency turn into singles. Um, Matthew Corey at Matty Matty 2000 asks, what do you think of the Red Sox now? A, which again, friend of the podcast, I appreciate that he threw the A on the end of that. Um, I think that they are a cursed team who plays in a cursed park and perhaps I don't want to say we should burn Fenway down, but if it were to happen to burn down, I would be okay with that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Greg went dark. Yeah. Uh, see, I if you listen to our podcast at the beginning of the season, I thought the Red Sox were actually not bad. Greg thought they were going to finish last. But I still think the Red Sox can't pitch very well and they have like four good hitters. So I, I, mean, I'm not, I don't really believe that they're going to keep, they're going to play well through the season. Um, obviously the fortunes of the Blue Jays and Red Sox from last season will not repeat because Red Sox already have more victories than last season against us. So I guess, I guess how the turntables. Yes. <laughs> Josh at J treats with a Z. Uh, was that potentially, 
uh, this is reference to today's game. Was that potentially the most pitiful top and bottom of extra innings possible? Fairly certain Bo could have underhanded soft tossed that to first. Um, little hyperbole there, but I don't know that J Josh, other Josh, is uh, is that far off base? That what do they have a, a flyout and two strikeouts at the top of the inning? Or, and no, they started with two strikeouts. Two, yeah, two strikeouts and a ground out at the top of yeah. the tenth. Yeah, and then, strikeout, strikeout with the runner on second base. I mean, Kimbrell does that, but still, strikeout, strikeout, ground out. I think it was ground out. Yep, yeah, Kirk grounded out. Yeah. And then Mesa comes in and gets has first and second, Bryce Harper's up. He gets the first out. He gets, uh, I think it was Bryson Stott. He struck him out, I believe. Yep. And, and then he walked Trey Turner. And then he gets Harper to hit a comebacker. Perfect throw to Bo with about... 40 seconds to throw to first base and he threw it away. <laughs> Speaking of hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might have been 40 seconds. It felt like it. This is the problem with Bo. Whenever he actually has time to throw, it's an adventure. When he has to, when he has to hurry and his athleticism just takes over, his throws are fine. But yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a you just can't do that. You can't throw that ball away when the guy's broken it down and has accepted he's hitting a double play. Yeah. Uh, and th there's, you know, you can go look up your freeze frames on Twitter of where Bryce Harper was when the ball went past Vladdy, and it's just crazy dumb. So the runner scores from second on the throwing error. Um, so it's not even like he threw it, you, you know, he didn't short hop Vlad. You could you could maybe live with that if the ball bounces around and then there's bases are loaded and you get another kick at it. No, he just, he just heaved it almost into the stands. <sighs> and Vlad actually made a great play. You know, he he turned around and picked up the, the carom off the wall and threw a seed to the plate and made it kind of close. But uh, uh, there was no chance at actually getting it out. But uh, I was impressed with Lai's athleticism and his wherewithal to, you know, his ability to, to actually throw under that spin control. And he and he did it. So good I, for him. I, I will never criticize uh, Vlad's baseball intelligence or his ability to play first base. <laughs> I, I know he was no. not perfect, but man, some of the stuff he thinks of. Um, when you know he, uh, I regularly see him pointing and calling out for when guys have forgotten to cover, you know when runners are going to be going somewhere, all of that stuff. He is thinking ahead all of the time, so it's pretty cool. Yep. Um, what do I think about ending the field uh, the road trip? Because I put this in my tweet. What do I think about ending the road trip on a throwing error? I actually think it's like kind of poetically perfect. <laughs> <laughs> here's all. Here's what I'll say about it. At least if they had to lose, they didn't have to use more pitchers because <laughs> they've got no off days coming up for a very long time. Yeah, they have tomorrow and then it's the long haul, right? Yep. Oh, Thursdays. How I love thee. Um, Matthew Corey, oh, sorry, uh, BK uh, at underscore BKUH underscore uh, asks a follow-up question to the, uh, the Josh's question. Why? With like a million question marks. Uh, and I, I guess because poetry is my answer. Do you have a different one? Why not? Ah, true. I no, mean, seriously, why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matthew Corey, possibly feeling bad about his first question, said, would you give Bo Bichette a contract extension if it had to be roughly the size and length of the Trey Turner Xander Bogart's deal? Oh, boy. Uh, I think if you'd asked me this question going into this last offseason, well, I mean, that doesn't really make sense, but if, if there was the level of shortstops available 
like Trey Turner or Xander Bogarts or Dansby Swanson or Carlos Correa, who's been terrible, but Carlos Correa, I would say probably not. But I've looked at the shortstop market for the next couple of years, and it is bad. It's basically the always injured Tim Anderson in two years and nobody. So I think, yeah, I would. Yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, the guy can catch fire and stay on fire for a long time. Um, he's Is he going to be a shortstop for the entire length of that contract? I don't know, but I'm sure you can get him to play a fantastic second base if a, if a shortstop stumbles into your system who can, who can supplant him. Yeah. Uh, Ballher, official at Baseball Her, could I take Romano in a fight? No. <laughs> he's got about... I, I, I've I've met Baller in person. I think uh, Romano's got about a foot and a half on her. I think that <laughs> it would be very tough. Reach is everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have not met her in a fight, so I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say if if you if it was a sneak attack situation and you got in the first you know the first good strike, unexpected maybe. I mean you never know, right? Yeah. Cole S at uh, Cole Stage. Um, this isn't a question. It's just it's just a, a tip as though we are management. Trade for Tim Anderson and SB for a closer. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean if I was an opposing GM, I feel like just someone asking for my closer and offering up Santiago Espinal, how could I possibly say no? It is funny. So every team has their version of this. For the Yankees, people like to make fun of the uh, Clint Frazier and Miguel Andujar for their best players. But Blue Jays fans is the same thing. It's always Espinal or Biggio and someone. <laughs> it's like, if that guy's not good enough to start for you, no one's going <laughs> to trade anything of value for him. Yeah, it's, it's the reason why it took Moreno to get Varsho. It's the reason why Eric Swanson came at the price of Teoscar Hernandez. Right. Those people you really loved? Yeah, somebody else is going to love him too. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, why do we want Tim Anderson? Is it just because... I think the idea would be to move Bo to second. Oh, okay. What, so obviously you trade Whit Merrifield for a closer. <laughs> no, he's the fourth outfielder. Uh, yeah, anyway, oh, none of this math, is happening. So the match is so confusing. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I believe that rounds out our questions for this lovely day, because I don't, I don't think you told me we had an email question. We did not. All right. I turn to you, uh, Joe DiMaggio, um, uh, for our final thought. Oh, wow. That, that's, that's very nice of you. Our podcast we're... turns its lonely eyes to you. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so I briefly alluded to Kikuchi's success earlier in the season. Earlier in the season. Early in the podcast. It's just been a really long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to keep it short. Uh, yeah, so... It's been, you know, he's had that same Jekyll and Hyde as everyone else, but overall, he's had five starts where he's given up one or fewer runs. And it's kind of funny how he's doing it. I didn't mention this in the first part because we were sort of just talking about the general weirdness of the rotation, but now I want to get a little more specific with my final thought. It's, it's odd because he's not, he's being hit harder than ever. And the highest home run rate ever and his second lowest strikeout rate after his rookie season. But he has by far the worst walk rate of his career, the, the lowest walk rate of his career, best walk rate, lowest. And it's and he's doing a weird thing where 
when the, when the bases are empty, he's been getting actually kind of torched. He's got the hit, hitters have a basically one thousand or nine hundred OPS on him with nobody on base, but he's not walking anybody to start. Four percent walk rate, which is excellent, with leadoff batters. And then when runners get on, he just totally changes his pitch mix and he starts throwing more sliders. And his strikeout rate shoots up, his walk rate goes up, but everything else goes down. So it's kind of interesting. He's like, I just don't want to walk the leadoff batter and then give up the home run. I'm just going to try and get that guy out with strikes. And if I don't, bury down and get go for the strikeouts, which is actually kind of fascinating and I think has helped lead to what he's doing. It is interesting if it is a conscious effort or on his part or if it's – I'm curious if it's something that the catchers are doing when there are yeah, runners on base. Um, it w- yeah, Again. whether he's choosing to do it, it's what is being done with him pitching. Um, I think that's interesting, and we'll see if it holds up. Uh, I would just like to tip my hat to Kevin Gaussman, who, I'm sorry, is absolutely ridiculous in terms of both strikeouts and walks. <laughs> uh, 12.43K per nine, 1.5 walk per nine. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> So, it's strike Kevin out. Gaussman. The last two starts where he's throw, where he's given up zero runs, he has no decisions. Yeah, because they hate him. Obviously, the hitters hate him. There's always that guy in every on every team. The hitters hate him. Like, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how you know when he's on. And again, he's been on more often than he's been off. I don't know. I, I can't imagine a more dominant looking pitcher in a Blue Jay uniform at the moment than than Kevin Gaussman. So I enjoy his starts greatly, even though uh, I know they're not going to score more than about two or three runs for him. But I mean, if they would just (laughs) score two, he could probably handle it. (laughs) Yeah, they would have today. All right. So uh, that said, uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And this has been episode number 268 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we'll talk at you next week.